Word on Fire is brought to you by Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Chicago area since 1837. This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents The Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, last week I had the privilege to be in Rome. I was giving a paper at the North American College, and I stayed for about three days afterwards just to enjoy the city. My room was spectacular. I was at the North American College, which is on the Janiculum Hill, just adjacent to St. Peter's. When I opened my window in the room in the morning, I could see the huge dome of St. Peter's right there. So St. Peter was very much on my mind last week. At one point, I was standing on the roof of the North American College, which has a beautiful panoramic view of the whole city of Rome. And with me was a priest who's a kind of expert in Roman history and culture. I said to him, you know, we all know where St. Peter died over on the Vatican Hill. But when Peter came to Rome, where would he have lived? Where did he stay? So this priest pointed to a peculiarly shaped dome across the city. He said, do you see that dome there? I said, yeah. He said, well, that's the Jewish synagogue, the main synagogue in Rome. And that's in the Jewish quarter, which was the Jewish quarter back in the Middle Ages and even back into classical times. So he said, when Peter came to Rome, that's probably where he stayed, somewhere in that vicinity. My mind drifted back to that time, an extraordinary time. Rome was the center of the world. And to the great city of Rome came this simple man, this Galilean fisherman. He came because of a kind of inner compulsion. He came because he wanted to proclaim Jesus Christ risen from the dead. And he knew if he came to Rome, he'd be at the very center of the world. Of course, it was a dangerous time to be proclaiming Jesus as Lord. In the year 64, the Emperor Nero launched a persecution. During that persecution, Peter was rounded up. No great surprise, I'm sure informers told the persecutors he's the head of the Christian community. So they found him, they arrested him. He was put to death in a new circus that had been built by Nero on the Vatican Hill. The Vatican Hill was outside the city walls of Rome, kind of out of the way place. There Peter was crucified, they say upside down. His body was cut down from the cross and he was buried in a little cemetery. It's on top of that grave that the great basilica of St. Peter's was built. And so the main altar rests directly on top of that grave of the simple man who came to Rome and was willing to accept even this horrible death, to proclaim Jesus Christ risen from the dead. Do you know exactly 15 centuries after the death of Peter, in the year 1564, Queen Elizabeth I came to Oxford University. Elizabeth had a well-deserved reputation as a scholar, and so when she arrived in Oxford, she was met by the best student of the time, a young 20-year-old named Edmund Campion. Campion greeted her 
with a formal address in Latin. That was the custom at the time. And then he entertained her at a disputatio, a great debate with other scholars. Queen Elizabeth was so impressed by this young man, by his power of mind and expression, that she said, I will personally see to your advancement. Well, for a 16th century Englishman, a 20-year-old with a career ahead of him, your ship could not have come more definitively in. His life was set. Any honor he wanted was his. Any advancement, any position he wanted was his. The queen herself had guaranteed Edmund Campion this kind of stature. But something was gnawing at Edmund Campion. It was the sense that the official English church that was founded by Elizabeth's father, Henry VIII, that was now being protected and defended by Elizabeth herself, this official English church, he felt, had betrayed classical Christianity. And even though in the world of the English church he knew any honor and any position could be his, he felt in his conscience the inability to cooperate with it. So in time, much to the shock and chagrin of his friends and family, he left Oxford. Indeed, he left the country. He joined a group of exiled English Catholics in Belgium. While he was there, he heard about the new order of Ignatius of Loyola, this order that included great heroes like Francis Xavier, the new Jesuit order, filled with soldiers zealous for Christ. In time, he became a candidate to the Jesuits, and then after some years, he became a Jesuit priest. Campion's gifts for scholarship, eloquence, rhetoric were not diminished, and so for a time, he served as a professor of rhetoric at the University of Prague. But something was continuing to gnaw at him, even as he was finding success as a Jesuit. What it was, was the missionary impulse. The impulse to return to his home country, to return to England, and there to minister to the Catholics who remained, and even to try to affect the conversion of his country back to the Catholic faith. Went to Rome for a short time, received the commission of the general of the Jesuits, and then with a small group of companions, he set out for England. He had to sneak into the country. It was, as you know, an exceptionally dangerous time for Catholics in England. There were penal laws in place, penalizing those who remained in the Catholic faith. Huge fines were imposed on the wealthy people who refused to cooperate with Protestant services. And especially in danger were priests. Those who came in from outside the country to preach and to work with the Catholic population they were seen, quite simply, as traitors. And they were hunted down ruthlessly. And those who were caught were put to death. Edmund Campion knew this situation perfectly. He knew it intimately when he began his mission. He was smuggled into the country, snuck in, disguised, and he moved furtively from place to place over the course of several months. He'd stay, perhaps for a night, in a house, say Mass for the people, hear their confessions, preach to them. 
encourage them. Then he would sneak off to another house somewhere else in the country. The same process repeated. Several times there were rumors that the pursuers were in the region, and so Campion and his colleagues would hide. Remember during this time, Catholics built special priest holes, they called them, hiding places in the walls and under the floorboards, up in the roofs and the ceilings where the priests would be hidden. Campion spent many, many hours holed up in these dark, cramped places. His mission lasted only about nine months. Eventually, an informer ratted on him, and he was discovered. After a long search through the house, by the way, he was hidden in one of those priest holes, and they eventually found him. They pinioned his arms behind his back, and they placed him on a horse, and they put a sign on him, Campion, the Jesuit traitor, and they paraded him back into London. They paraded him through the streets of the city. He was imprisoned in the Tower of London in a tiny room, so small you could neither stand up nor lie down in it. He was kept for many months in solitary confinement. From time to time, they would bring him out to torture him. He was racked several times. Occasionally, they would drag him out after maybe two weeks of solitary confinement, and they would bring him into a lecture hall, and suddenly he'd be forced to debate the complex issues of the time. During this time, Campion never surrendered the faith, though they desperately wanted him to. He never turned traitor. That's just what they wanted, though. They could claim the great Campion has given in. He never did. And eventually he met that fate, which he knew was most likely his. He was hanged, drawn, and quartered. You know, that means you were hanged, not quite to the point of death. And then your intestines were drawn out while you were still alive and then your body was cut into four pieces. That was the fate of Edmund Campion. Now, why am I telling you these two stories? St. Peter, and then 15 centuries later, the similar story of Edmund Campion. You hear them now and you say, well, yeah, I guess I can admire these people for their courage. I can admire them for their conviction. But I bet in a lot of us there's a sense of, you know, isn't it all a bit over the top? Would someone today go to those ends to proclaim the gospel? You know, wouldn't most of us say, look, if God is good, people are on different spiritual paths. You're a Catholic, you're a Protestant, you're a Buddhist, you're a New Age spiritual person. Who am I to be coming in, imposing my views on you? Wouldn't we adopt today a kind of live and let live attitude and feel it's good that those times of, of fanaticism and persecution are behind us? Well, look at Paul for today. Paul speaking to the little community he founded in Corinth. Here's what he says. Preaching the gospel is not the subject of a boast. I am under compulsion and I have no choice. I am ruined if I do not preach it. I am entrusted with a charge. I make myself the slave of all so as to win over as many as possible. I've made myself all things to all men in order to save at least some of them. Christians, whatever you say about that passage, that is not the voice of a laissez-faire, blasé, anything-goes person. That's not someone who believes that all spiritual paths are the same. That's not someone who believes it's a matter of indifference whether we evangelize. Preaching the gospel is not the subject of a boast. I am under compulsion and I have no choice. 
Paul has been seized by the Lord Jesus Christ in such a way that he must proclaim him. It's a compulsion. I'm ruined if I do not preach it. It's an obligation that has rooted itself in his very blood and bones. Now, I know today that's countercultural. I know that's difficult. I know most of us don't feel that way. But there it is. There it is in one of the greatest saints, who himself, of course, was martyred not long after Peter in that same city of Rome. Listen, by the way, to the Lord Jesus himself in the gospel. Let us move on to the neighboring villages, so that I may proclaim the good news there also, for that is what I have come to do. Here's Jesus himself describing what it is that he's come to do. What's his essential mission? It is to proclaim this good news. The resurrected Jesus says to the eleven, proclaim the good news to all nations. This is the essential task of Christians. The baptized, those who've been grafted on to Christ Jesus, who think as he thinks, who will as he wills, who do exactly what he does, well, this is what he does. Watch him. Watch the saints. Watch Paul. Watch Peter. Watch Edmund Campion. Even though today it seems countercultural, even though today it seems not quite the done thing, this obligation that we have in season and out, even when it's dangerous, even when it's unpopular, to proclaim Jesus risen from the dead is inscribed into the very inner logic of Christianity. We do it always with love, of course. But Christians, we do it. Not caving in to the indifference of our time, but being seized by the same spirit that seized Peter, Paul, Edmund Campion. And God bless you. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you. Most interment arrangements at the 42 Archdiocese of Chicago cemeteries are made through a pre-need plan. Your thoughtful planning today is economically prudent and contributes to peace of mind for you and your loved ones. Catholic Cemeteries counselors are available at your convenience. For more information, call 708 449-6100 Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Catholic community since 1837.